Well, thank you, Shauna and worship team. We really appreciate it. Um, I want to tell you about a couple special things that we get to experience now. Actually, two guys that have really meant a lot to me, uh, one in the more recent years and one for, well, I guess all of my life, uh, which is my dad and Michael. Um, they did a partnership together, and I think we might have a slide here for a book that my dad wrote, which carries in it a lot of formative stories uh, that uh, encounter, like, essentially, uh, were the stories of my childhood, um, the stories uh, that marked our dinner table, and the stories that created in me a desire to see the living God in action in the way that my own father has. And I feel privileged that one of the stories uh, that's in this book has come out of the life of St. Andrews and has some of you in it. And so in that way, uh, we wanted to uh, share that with you. His book will be out on the patio after church. He has said that all proceeds from the book will go to St. Andrews. So there's no concern there about you know, him making any money or anything like that. Uh, and so uh, I want to welcome up Michael now, who's going to speak to his experience uh, meeting with my dad and the story that's in the book. So here comes Michael. Good morning, St. Andrews. My church. Something I never thought I would say in my life. But I just want to tell you right now that everything I went through in my life, every road I took, bad roads, good roads, all was for Jesus to lead me to where I am now, right here in this church. I'd never been to church in my life until I went to church in St. Andrews. And I was working downstairs, actually, before I came up here, and Peter came a couple times and talked to me about coming to services. And I'll thank him for the rest of my life for that. It's, it's so beautiful here that uh, it's my life now. I, I can't imagine my life without being here. And as you will read in Pastor Peter's father's book, there's a story in there about me, and it talks about my really bad times in the first part of my life. But there's times, I was in an accident in 91 that they bought a burial plot for me. They said it was impossible for me to live. And then they said, well, he'll never walk again. Then they said, well, we don't know how much brain damage he has till the brain swelling goes down. Well, <laughs> here I am. And that is Jesus keeping me to get here. <laughs> It's all about him wanting me to get here. And I, uh, I love you guys. I do. I love everyone in this church. Every one of you has been a main part of my life now. Even though we might not know each other closely or speak to each other a lot, you are in my heart. I pray for every one of you every night, and I will continue to do that. It makes me so happy that I've never experienced this kind of joy. And, and I, I don't know what else to say except for, I, you know, 
you, you people need to realize exactly what's going on here. And this took someone like me who was lost most of his life because of my upbringing, but I never gave up on my life, and this is it. This is where I belong. I will be here every day as much as I can, and anything I can do for you, please come and ask me, because I would love to do things for you people, too. So I'm not going to speak too long here. Uh, Pastor Peter's father, I think, is going to come up. But I just wanted to let you guys know this book will give you an idea of where I came from and what all of you had a part in where I'm at now. And I thank you and I love you. That's it. <laughs> all right, way to go, Michael. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I am always humbled by being here, and uh, so the the topic of the my the sermon today is uh, "Thy will be done," as it's been done in Michael's life. For those willing to accept that, and you know, we pray. We prayed every week here, and we just prayed uh, a little bit ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, do we really mean that, thy will be done? And, you know, we fear that a lot of times, I think. And I, I'll give you an example of a prophet by the name of Hosea, who, you know, when he was uh, talking with the Lord, you know, he had some reason to be concerned as to what the Lord's will was, because here at uh, the first chapter, verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then at chapter 3, Hosea says that the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves Israel, though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethith of barley and then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Now, I don't know how many of us, if that was what was asked of us, would say, oh, okay, God, you know, I'll suffer this enormous humiliation that it doesn't appear I deserve because the example was is that this is what God was suffering with his people. 
And what's fascinating about the second chapter here is the, the price that he paid to have her back was that which you would typically pay for a slave because she obviously had sold herself into slavery. Such is the nature of sin. Now, there's a different example, and that's the one where we have the, the scripture, and that's the story of Abraham. And Abraham was known as God's friend. And that sounds all right, doesn't it? And there's, in Isaiah 41.8, we're told the descendants of Abraham are my friend. But then at Genesis 18, 22 through 33, we have a very beautiful example of what it is to be actually in conversation and, and have a relationship with God. And this, this to me is one of the most extraordinary exchanges in the Bible because Abraham is telling us that the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far, far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do the right? It's just amazing. <laughs> this is how he's talking to God. And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? I, if I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if there will be only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if it only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, my Lord, not be angry. May you not be angry. But let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. So this is so extraordinary. You know, we, we learn that you can't negotiate with God. This sounds like a pretty good effort, doesn't it? Um, and yet it really isn't because he is God and we are not. And so the thing you keep in mind is he knows already what, how many there are in Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet he allows Abraham to continue in this dialogue 
and is not angry with him. And so we have to study really why is that. And I think there's predominantly two reasons. And I think the first one is, is that he had reverence. He knew that he was speaking with God, and therefore he asked over and over again, do not be angry with me. But the second one is, is he's not asking for himself. He is compassionate. He is asking for others and for those who are righteous. And I think that in our prayers and our discussions in the things in this relationship that we would like to have with God, that that's really an essential point, is it's not about us. It's about everyone else and what God wants. And Abraham had the great benefit of hearing God speak, but we have to wonder, does that happen to us today? Do you hear God speak? And if so, what does it sound like? Do we have a relationship with God like this? And how do we explore finding such a relationship? And do we dare? Do we dare? Like Hosea. Because we don't know. So Rose has a favorite theologian. Uh, it's Dallas Willard. And she's very, very much into every lecture, podcast, and book that Dallas Willard has ever written. And so she regularly sends me all of his lectures, and she's given me two of his books recently. And, you know, I, I kind of, you know, he's very erudite, you know, intellectual theologian and I'm like oh please please you know just you know but she keeps sending me and then I was thinking you know he died a few years ago and it's like I keep getting this and I'm like haunted by Dallas Willard and he keeps <laughs> she keeps sending them to me but we went to Oregon and we drove the whole way so I said okay we'll listen to you know Dallas Willard all the, all the time in the car, okay? <laughs> we'll get it this done, you know? I'll relent. So anyway, he says, God speaks to us by causing thoughts in our mind that we come to learn have a characteristic quality, content, and spirit about them. Now, this is something that I think you all have experienced. Somehow, in your mind, you get direction. It's quiet. The Bible in Kings 19.12 describes it as the still, small voice inside of you. That if you're willing to accept a relationship with God, you learn to accept that it's not from you. It's from God. Now, I know someone who talks to God all the time. And so we're going to put up a little trailer here about my friend Dave Eubank, who came and preached here. And this is going to give you a little bit of an idea about what he does. And you've seen it because he's been here. 
and maybe even a little better idea about uh, what he, what, why he would speak to God all the time. And the basic reason is, is because just like recently in Burma, he was in, out there in the jungle, and the Burma army is attacking all of the local villagers and the people there. And Dave is going there and evacuating the people and taking out the, the, the wounded over and over and over again to what's known as a casualty collection center. And a dear friend of mine, uh, Noah Nelson, went and spent two months with him and lived through this with him. And he reflects on what it is that I know about Dave Eubank, who's brought his whole family there, who are always in the, to one extent in danger. And that is, is that no matter what he does, whenever he does it, he says, God, should I do this? And so oftentimes, what he'll do is he'll say, God, should I do this? And if he doesn't hear no, he does it. And it's always incredibly dangerous, but that's how he communicates. But then, you know, and then it, it comes, it, it takes over his whole life and everywhere. So like when he comes to a place like Malibu, he'll be there walking around and I'll walk with him and they will be on the street and some lady will be bringing out her trash and he'll look at her and he'll Well, you have one life. might as well go for it, because what are you going to hold on to? I grew up as a missionary kid in Thailand. I remember thinking, I think I'm more of a soldier. I felt God had something else for me to do. I turned to Karen and I said, I'm going to Burma. Will you come with me? Will you marry me? I felt in my heart, say no and let it go, or you say yes and you get in. I have no other plan, just go. Go to the sound of the guns, go to the sound of need, and trust God to show you how you can be useful. David Eubank, a former Special Forces captain, has gone on to found a relief group called the Free Burma Rangers. Helping those fleeing the front lines of war. His wife and three children go with him into the conflict areas. As we did these relief missions, more and more ethnic people began to join us. I want to go and help my people as I can. We hope these things will change the world. We're here on the border of Iraq, and these are all refugees that have been fleeing ISIS. It's the craziest thing in the world to do, and yet we knew we had to respond. 
I felt God's voice, get on your knees and pray. Get on my knees. I look like a Christian nutcase, man. ISIS just opens up on three sides. Bullets are pinging off the Humvee like crazy. Everything is just right there on the edge. How far is that gonna take Dave? Ah, alive! What's happened to you is wrong. We're gonna help you, even if we die trying, we're not gonna leave you. Because you count. Jesus, help me. scene you see there, um, he's running behind a tank, and it's what's known as the killing zone, where ISIS is in this hospital shooting down, and there's all these people who have been shot because they had the audacity of trying to leave Mosul. And so just because they were leaving, they just shot them. And the, there was one little girl who was hanging on to uh, her mother, who had been shot. And it's out in, you know, wide open. He's and everything everywhere. So he runs behind this tank. And he runs out and grabs this little eight-year-old girl and runs back and saves her. One more. Just one more. Okay, now, do you think he hears from God regularly? Right? Because he's there all the time. And, you know, the, the, the reality is, if he wasn't hearing from God from moment to moment, they wouldn't survive. But he's been doing this for 34 years. He's 62 years old now. And he just went back into that same jungle again. So we don't hear God speaking to us out loud, most of us, right? We, and we have to be careful. We have to have some discernment. So there's situations in which people will tell, you know, you have circumstances where all of a sudden said, God told me. One time, our pastor, Dave Worth in Malibu, you know, when someone told, told us, you know, told everyone that, you know, the Holy Spirit had only visited this church one time in the last 10 years. And, you know, and it was God told me this, and Dave said, responded to that. Well, he said, I'll believe that when God tells me the same thing, okay? Because one of the ways you can authenticate what people hear is did anyone else hear it? And that's how the Holy Spirit works. It works amongst us in a community. And the other way is, is that you test it with Scripture. So, yes, you want to be discerning as to what those things are that you may or may not hear, but they're there. Dallas Willard again. Sometimes such proclamations are not authentic. They must be authenticated by someone else. How is God speaking to you is a great question to ask when you feel something like that is being told to you. But in the end, 
it has to do with the prayer that his will be done. That's when you're reaching out to God. And C.S. Lewis finally, in the ultimate conclusion of it, put it this way. There are only two types of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those ultimately to whom God says, thy will be done. That's the ultimate choice we make. So I'm just going to give you one story, and it has a lot to do with the everything that's in the book and how it, I happen to get to a place where I know so many people like Michael, and I've seen the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in people's lives to completely redeem them. And Michael is such a beautiful example, so that's what the book's about. And that's not what I wanted. When I got out of law school, I felt entitled. I felt like I was going to be somebody to be wealthy and powerful and probably a judge because, you know, I deserved it. <laughs> and I had an interview in the DA's office in Ventura, and I prayed about that, but I was also afraid at the time because I really needed a job, and Peter's uh, sister Rebecca was just like a three-month-old baby, and we had nothing. And so when I got down on my knees to pray about that interview, I ended it with, but Lord, no, your will be done. So I went to the interview, and it went really well, but I was afraid, and the public defender's office paid the same, so I went downstairs, and I handed in a resume, and the next thing I knew, I was the secretary is taking me into Mr. Irwin's office, and Mr. Irwin is there, and he's angry at the judges, and he's telling other guys what to do and everything. And he finally says, young man, sit over there. And he says, well, what makes you think you could be a trial lawyer? And I said, well, it sounds like you're having a lot of trouble with your judges, but what are your jurors like? And he's like, well, they're all right. you know." And, it, and it's, so I said the right thing. Okay, because that's what he was looking for. But, I, you know, I left. It was all kind of bizarre. And I went home and I waiting, telling Rose about the DA interview. And the thing I realized when I was in this public defender foyer is I saw the clients, and they're, you know, a lot of them had their parents there, and they were young. And I looked around, and I felt sorry for them. Well, as I would later learn, this isn't a good emotion for someone who's supposed to be prosecuted. <laughs> but that was my makeup. So we're at home, I'm telling Rose about the interview at the DA's office, and uh, the phone rings, and it's Eileen and Mr. Irwin is on the line for you. And he says, young man, show up tomorrow at 8.15 in the morning You've got to, if you want a job. And the other one was going to take many months, you know, to get through. So, okay. And I know that God knew me better than I knew myself. Because all of the things that I wanted to be powerful and respected, <laughs> and I really wanted to win, 
okay, were taken from me, and I was given a whole different definition of what it means to be what victory is in Jesus Christ. And that is the simple redemption of one single soul every time and every place there's an opportunity to do that. And you have experienced that. You do that with your homeless ministries and every week that you're here. And so my conclusion is, is that God knows us better than we know ourselves, and therefore his will be done. Will you pray for me? Pray with me, please. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and this time together. And I just ask your continued blessing upon this church and this beautiful congregation and for all of the work that they do to usher in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.